Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. It's time for another episode of the TC Live Podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. And as always, I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and I appreciate you listening. It's the U.S. Open Finals Weekend 2020 New York City. The tennis bubble has reached its climax with Victoria Azarenka taking on Naomi Osaka for the women's title and Dominic Team taking on Alex Vera for the men's title. I'm joined by SI editor, Beyond the Baseline podcast host, and TC Live regular fixture in the tennis game John Wertheim to break down all the drama at New York City John is a tremendous guest on this episode as he breaks down the Serena Azarenka match all the drama in there Osaka and Brady the Novak Djokovic controversy that opened up the men's draw and how team and Zvera both look going into their final matchup we also look at the road to Roland Garros and if we could be looking at the end of days for lines people in tennis it's John Wertheim on the TC Live podcast and it starts right now All right, now joining us on the TC Live podcast, a prominent fixture on all Tennis Channel Live broadcasts, as well as all major coverage. You can find him on 60 Minutes. He's the executive editor at Sports Illustrated and host of the Beyond the Baseline podcast. Now joining the show, John Wertheim. John, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. How are you? I'm doing well, and uh, I think I want to start with this. It, it's an interesting year. Everybody's you know, beating that drum. It, you've been covering tennis for a long time. You've been specifically covering the Native American Slam, the U.S. Open, for a long time. This has got to be the first time in uh, how many years for you that you haven't actually been able to go to the venue and, and see the tennis live? Oh, man. Um, that's an embarrassing question. <laughs> I, I think I went as a fan in, like, college in the mid 90s for the first time so yeah it's been uh man i hadn't even thought about that yeah i guess to, yeah we're, we're talking 25 years here so uh you you've embarrassed me and uh made a point at the same time yeah it's it was wild i mean you know it's it's crazy i was actually um i'll tell you a funny story you asked a short question to get a long answer i was sure actually was at the site um yesterday for something having nothing to do with tennis filming a, another tv piece and it is just dead. I mean, there's no traffic. There's not a car in the parking lot. There's no security. It's just, it's wild that there's a U.S. Open going on and there's not a fan in the stands and um, not, not a single non-essential person on the grounds. It's, um, I, I commend, commend the event for happening, but boy, are these strange circumstances. It almost seems like even when you're watching on TV, like the zombie apocalypse feel where there's just this great tennis going on, but the atmosphere's dead. There's not a lot of people to see it. Uh, And we can kind of start there, John. Overall, I've been impressed with the level of play, with the commitment from the players. What grade, if we're going to go in terms of a letter grade, would you give the USTA, the US Open, for everything that we've seen at at this tournament where they've had to get the players to commit, they've had to get a lot of uh, reinforcements to make this happen, how would you grade the overall experience of the 2020 U.S. Open? 
Um, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I, I would I would say solid A. I mean, it's, it's not perfect. It's not an A+. plus. There are a couple things probably in retrospect they would do differently. I think nobody expected perfection. But the fact that you and I on September 12th are talking about a U.S. Open final and a final weekend and we've gotten this far and there there was one positive test and even that was a little dubious mm-hmm. i i think sort of big, big picture it's incredible that this was not only staged but staged with so little complication and then yeah i mean we, we can nitpick here and there and the promotion maybe wasn't ideal and there was the benoit pair situation i mean it, it wasn't perfect but but solid a and uh, i think the usta deserves a lot of credit i think also the players deserve credit and they stayed in shape. We, you know, people were expecting all these best of five is crazy. These players are going to be out of shape. We're going to have trainer calls left and right. And players aren't going to respect the protocol. And I, I think everyone involved gets uh, a lot of credit. And I think tennis really showed itself to be kind of a, a professional operation. I think the players acted like adults. I think the players clearly treated the off season uh, with a level of professionalism. And I think the USTA, Big round of applause for. I hope it never has to happen again, but they sure pulled it off this year. Absolutely. The only uh, the only thing keeping it from perfection, other than the nitpicking things that we've we've gone over, really don't like those interviews before they go onto the court with the masks on and the pre match interviews. We can we can do without that. I think. <sighs> <would be great. laughs> yeah, you, you know, there are all these sort of ca- casualties of COVID, and you know whether it's things going on, all these staff meetings in the office or. Uh, all these things are salad bars that are never coming back. We hope the pre-match interview would be on that list, too. Absolutely. Uh, the women's semifinals, I want to start with that. We're on final day as we record this Saturday, as you'll be listening to this Saturday, hopefully before the U.S. Open women's final. The semifinals uh, for the women were some of the better tennis matches we've seen in a long time. And I want to start with Jen Brady versus Naomi Osaka, John. that The level of play in that match from start to finish was as good as anything I've seen in a long time. Props to both ladies. Uh, specifically, I, I want to give credit to uh, the woman on the losing end, Jen Brady, where she's come in the, in the last year, two years really being outside the top 100. That was as good of a performance and a losing effort as I can remember seeing. So this was the first major at which Jen Brady was ever seeded. Yeah, she's 25 years old, middle of her career. This is her first major as a seed. And not only did she more than live up to it, getting to the final four, the way she approached that semifinal match, uh, really start to finish. I mean, there, there was not a moment where you, you felt like she was feeling pressure or that she wasn't maximizing her performance. She made Osaka play her best. She made Osaka serve it out, which uh, Osaka, a little, little shaky uh, of yeah. a ball toss, but this came through. But uh, start to finish, I mean, what, what a tournament for Jen Brady. What a summer for Jen Brady. And just sort of big picture. I mean, here, here's the player who basically just said, you know what, I could probably be a, you know, a, a 60 to 80 type of player and get in the main draws and win a few matches here and there and make my money. But I, I don't want that. I want something more. And the way middle of her career, she went to Germany and made a coaching change and her physique has changed. Her approach has changed. I think there's a lot for other players to take from that. And if she can do it, why not me? But, but to go to your first major at your home major um, and remember Jen, Jen Brady wins in Lexington, not a great outing at Cincinnati. Yeah. So she's returning to the site where she sort of had this hiccup and then to, I mean, I think she went 10 for 10, but she was barely tested for uh 
her first five matches. I mean, so some of those were like Nadal on clay type of set scores. Yeah. And then to go up against Naomi Osaka, former champion, probably the favorite in the field, and go deep in the third set. That was, uh, that was as you say, great match of the tournament, but what a performance from Jen Brady. And you mentioned this too, uh, on I believe on Twitter, you mentioned how this is an interesting uh, time for a lot of college sports, but look at what Jen Brady's done as a college tennis player. And as someone that I, I, even people that follow might not realize, John, that she wasn't even number one singles at UCLA to go where she's gone to now being, I mean, look, I think we're seeing a potential to be a top 10 player and go above and beyond and win some tournaments now in addition to Lexington. It's just remarkable there as well. Yeah, I mean, with, with no, you know, with, with no March Madness and with, with these conference revenues way down and who knows what's going to happen this fall with football. A lot of these athletic departments are sort of reassessing uh, their balance sheets. And unfortunately, these non-revenue sports, including tennis, are, are taking it on the chin. But boy, if you, you want to see the good of college tennis, um, Jen, Jen Brady sort of stands out, but top to bottom from, from Kevin Anderson to, you know, even Brandon Akashima yeah. went to, UVA and it gave him some nice seasoning and here he is taking sets off thereof. I mean, top to bottom, uh, college tennis is really the force. It's just a, a, a great, it's called yeah, it's tra- a tragedy almost that it's it's doing so at a time when it's sort of never been more uncertain. And on the flip side of this match, John Naomi Osaka has two major titles. She's been number one in the world. She's done a lot of good things on the tennis court and off the tennis court as we've seen. I think this is the best she's looked. Because I would probably vote yes, given uh, given the circumstances and how consistent she's playing, how consistent she's serving. Do you think this is the best version of Naomi Osaka we've seen? Yeah, and, and I think they're related. I mean, I think that she is unrecognizable from the player that won here two years ago. And she clearly has said, I, I'm re- I, mean, I found this jacket a little bit confining. I, it took me a while to get used to celebrity and everything that came with it. I'm ready for this. And the fact that you know, I mean, it was, was 16 days ago she issued that tweet and basically a whole tournament scrambles and then cancels itself for a day because of Naomi Osaka. And she becomes this, this national story and NBA players are referencing her. And for her to follow that up by reaching the final of a major, but you know, she brings, we, we've all talked about how she, she brings the seven masks with the Black Lives Matter victims on them and the fact that she packs seven, she's expected to be here the whole time. And the fact that all of this sort of chaos, and, and it's, it's serious chaos too. I mean, this isn't, sometimes we talk about, oh, off-court distraction. I mean, this is like existential stuff. This is stuff that really matters to her. This is not, um, you know, the, the usual sort of silliness what we talk about with off-court distraction. But the fact that this has not had any noticeable impact on her tennis. And she is back in the finals of the U.S. Open. Some of the matches she's breezed through. Some of them she's had to fight through. But the fact that with all this going on, it hasn't impacted her tennis, I think is really sort of the most sort of amplified statement of them all. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, if she, you, you and I are recording this uh, before the women's final, she's got two more sets and she wins her third major and her third major in the last 24 months. And will really sort of have, have emerged, I think as, as the, I mean, the, the Serena heiress is probably a bit too much, but you know, not, not a lot of players have won three majors in a 24 year, in a 24 month period. In the last twenty years, Serena notwithstanding, so it's it's really it's really impressive, and I think she's really made a statement about sort of her powers of uh, of, of compartmentalization as well as her tennis. 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. John Wertheim on the TC Live podcast. I, I couldn't agree with that more. And I also think that her ability to uh, be healthy as well. I mean, she pulled out of the, uh, the final of the Western Southern Open. We were worry, worried about her leg injury, if she'd be at full health and she's moving and, and playing as better, better as she's played in, in many months. Uh, Azarenka Serena was that second semifinal. And uh, I'm just, I'm resigned to the fact, John, that every time Serena plays in a big match, the U.S. Open, something exciting is going to happen. You don't necessarily know what. Azarenka wins that match, fights back after getting obliterated in the first set. And uh, on the Serena side, starting with her, I, I like you, was, was shocked that she arguably, I mean, unarguably played her best set of the tournament, that first one on no rest, essentially, winning the first set, breezing by Azarenka there. But in the end, it was Azarenka fighting, and it was Serena looking maybe a little gassed, maybe a little injured, grabbing the leg. Do you think that it was the case of Serena maybe running out of gas? Was Vika's level just too high? What made the difference, and why was Azarenka able to slay that obstacle that had troubled her so many times in her career? Yeah, it's it's a great question. I mean, some of it is just things things start to go when you're past your prime and you can, I mean, it, it sort of was, it was every cliche about the, the athlete past their prime, right? Which is like, right. they, they still have it in spurts. The legs were a little slow. The defense isn't there. So it puts pressure on the offense. And for that first 45 minutes, it was vintage. So that's, a, that's as good a set as you will ever see Serena Williams play. And that first set was just, it was two players playing two different sports. And then the consistency went and the stamina went and the body gave out a little. And I, I don't know sort of the, the extent of the injury. Serena, to her credit, didn't certainly attribute the loss to that. Um, and what you realize is like this, you know, the, the older athlete still has it, but they don't necessarily have it for 14 sets. And uh, a, a lot can go right, but a lot has to go right. And I think the other great, sort of question of course we'll never know the answer to is just the role of the crowd and sometimes the crowd has been Serena's worst enemy and I still remember that vintage, I mean, we were talking about sort of the controversies and the Kleister's match and the Stoser match and the 2018 final but I still remember like the the Vinci match where every single time she missed a shot you could hear this palpable like 20,000 people saying oh I mean the, the pressure of history on her racket in front of a crowd I don't know if a crowd would have pushed her through that match. And if, you know, all the sort of chaos that comes with a crowd, happy chaos that comes with the crowd would have been uh, an energizing force to her, or if that would have been an added source of pressure. And, um, you know, but before the event, Lin Lindsay Davenport, I thought had a really good point, which is it's a great disguised blessing to Serena that there won't be a crowd and there won't be the celebrities that she'll look after and yeah. the players and you know, people want photos and the ticket requests and everything that comes with 25,000 people. But I, I do wonder how that Serena has a rank match given everything at stake, given Serena's history, you know, that's the fact that she's American, the fact that she and Azarenka have a history at the U S open, they even get casual fans probably remember their finals. I do wonder how that match had played out. Had there been no crowd. 
I'm so glad you brought that up because these were the first matches, the Brady-Osaka match followed by the, the second semifinal where I did feel like the crowd kind of, with the lack of a crowd made a difference and it was something missing. Um, and, and with you said, I mean, I think Serena's, I think Serena's mental is still there. But yeah, it's the it's the aging athlete past their prime when the body starts to go and they don't have it all the time. I just want to be clear. I, I'm giving a lot of credit to Vika for this because where she's mm-hmm. come in a couple of years, we just we mentioned Brady, but where she's come, all the stuff she's had to deal with on and off the court, getting back to this level, fighting, but also keeping her emotions in check. There were there were two moments in this tournament, one in the match before and one in the actual final. There was the Mertens match where she just obliterated her. Mertens won one game in the quarterfinal match where she won the first set and was just sitting Indian style, just meditating, just peaceful as can be. And there was also a moment in the in the semifinal against Serena where she's getting killed in that first set where Serena gets a wet cord break and you think, what else could happen? And she just kind of laughed it off and, and went back to work. I don't know that Vika's at the level she was when she won two Grand Slams, two Aussie Opens back-to-back. She may be. But I know mentally, this is an entirely different person. The composure is just off the charts. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think that there's a lot there. I mean, I think also uh, she she has not chosen to tell it, so I think we need to respect it. But you know, she's she's been through a lot in the last four years. Um, I mean, she she was healthy in January and did not play the Australian Open, and I think that gives an indication of sort of some of the behind the scenes. Um, you know, she's, she's dealt with a lot and she's dealt with uh, custody in the legal system. And one day she will perhaps choose to, to tell the whole story. But the fact that she's gotten through that, and she said, you know, re- retirement had crossed my mind. I mean, the results weren't there and she was dealing with a lot off the court. And then I think you're right. I think in the moment, some of the sports psychology insight she had about, you know, we, we sort of talk in these cliches about sort of positive energy and momentum and clearing your mind. I thought she really broke it down very sharply. And the fact that she was able to sort of generate her own energy, she couldn't rely on a crowd and there was no gamesmanship, but she just basically, I mean, it, it sounds like locker room pablum, but she, she psyched herself up and every cliche about cleaning your mind and controlling what you can control. I thought she was really eloquent about it, both in the, in the post-match interview and in the press conference. Uh, it was a real sort of triumph of, of psychology, and I, I think that's something that uh, you start talking about, and it's sort of easy to lapse into cliche, and then people sort of roll their eyes about, you know, clearing my mind and trying to think about nothing. But this was a pretty vivid, uh, pretty vivid display of, of how it, it really is a thing and how it can swing matches. I mean, for for her to have played that first set, and you're right, there was like every possible thing was going against her. Serena was informed. Their track record was. But I think four and 18 was the head to head. They had the U S open finals where, where Vika came close, but not quite. I mean, everything was stacked against her and she had no crowd to rely on. And she had no sort of artificial controversy to rely on. And she just basically organically mm-hmm. generated her own energy. And you, you can't find, you know, that, that's not in the IBM stat sheets, but it, it completely turned the match. And you mentioned as well, I mean, not to single anybody out, but the head-to-head between her and another elite player, Maria Sharapova, that couldn't get through and couldn't beat Serena. Serena dominated just about everybody, but you always felt like Azarenka mentally, even when it might have been 
wishful thinking, felt like she belonged and could beat Serena, and it did happen on this night. Uh, before we get to the final, John, uh, just looking at Serena's U.S. Open run, and unfortunately her, her age as a, as a tennis player, going to be 39 here coming up, how many more runs do you think she's going to have realistically or can have at Major 24? Oh, man. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think we all kind of need to pause and acknowledge there's, there's you know, an, an almost 39-year-old woman, woman who's uh, a set away from playing in her fifth major final in the last uh, two years. And I, I think that's something that sort of, we, it's, inevitably, it's going to be a disappointment every time Serena doesn't win 24. But I, I do think, like, we, we ought to pause and uh pretty incredible that she's even in the conversation as, right. as this is an event she won in 1999 and here <laughs> yeah. she, she comes in as, as whatever it was a third seed yeah. um i i feel like this was really i mean i don't know i mean you know but before the tournament i wouldn't have picked her to get to the second week she was going three sets with players outside the you know she lost to shelby rogers in, in lexington and she barely was competitive in that third set against against Zachary in in Cincinnati. Maddie, and then she turns it on and looks a lot like vintage Serena Williams. But the 39 is a big number. I don't think it's going to happen on clay. And then suddenly we're into 2021. Keep in mind that, you know, six of the top 10 women weren't in the field. And so right. you want to say, boy, if, if, you know, semifinals were the best you could do without six of the top 10 players, um, how do you expect her to win when those six are bad? I just, at the same time, she's, Serena Williams, and uh, you know, you look look at that first inning at Azarenka, and you sort of go back and say, any more where that came from, and uh, you can win anything. So, you know, you, you hate to be too doom and gloom. I think we, we all kind of want it at a visceral level, but this this was a big opportunity. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I don't think she's, uh, the good news is she hasn't come anywhere near the cliff of the aging athlete that's not really contending anymore, but you do just have to put into perspective her age, her accomplishments at her age, and also that it's not going to unfortunately uh, last forever. Well, last thing on the women's side, the final set, Azarenka and Osaka were supposed to meet in the Western Southern Open for that title. Azarenka wins because Osaka pulls out. They've only played once on hard court where Azarenka gave it to Osaka pretty good, but it was, you know, four years ago. A lot's changed since then. John Osaka's clearly the favorite. She deserves to be so, be so. but we talked about that irrational confidence with Azarenka. She's going to believe that she can and thinks that she will win this match. I'm excited to see the final. What's your take on what we should expect to see out there? Um, I mean, I just, it's such a weird, weird setup. And yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't read much into the head-to-head. They both come in with form. They're both probably a little banged up, and I, I think both players are, you know, I think, I think you'll see Osaka with the wrap, but I think they'll be healthy. I think some of it is about just meeting those low, you know, when, when they lapse, when there was the inevitable lapse, you know, we, we saw both of them actually put on a clinic about how to come back from a lapse in, in the semifinal. Who knows? I mean, you, usually in the best of times, we say, who knows how they're going to come out for, for a major final, and sometimes you crush it, and sometimes it's Serena against Intergo. Mm-hmm. We don't know how these players are going to deal with the very different circumstances meeting in the final and the weight of history and the opportunity and all the more so when there are no fans. I mean, can you imagine one of those players is going to win and it's going to be a huge title and either for Osaka, it's going to be her third major and this real sort of validation and you have this, this social justice context and the Tokyo Olympics and this is a huge win for her. 
And for Azarenka, obviously, it's it's a career maker. And she hasn't been to a final in seven years. And she hasn't won the U.S. Open before. And at this age, as a mother, I mean, it's an absolutely monumental day for either winner. And there are going to be 11 people in the stands. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just going to be the strangest. We were joking before. He said, this is the, you know, the, the, the box could come onto the court. You don't, you don't have to go climb up and uh, <laughs> deal with, with getting up to see your people. They can, they can flop out and see you. I mean, I can't. This, this is like a Zen riddle, like the, the, the tree in the forest. Um, I mean, I, I do think, you know, I mean, Jesus, go, you certainly write the storyline either way. Yeah. Vika's just seizing the moment. She just come off a three-set win against Serena, and she's saying, God damn it, nothing's stopping me. I think the more likely scenario is Naomi Osaka says, more of where that comes from. And there will be uh, a 20 minute stretch when Azarenka will win four straight games and Naomi will play her way out of it. Mm -hmm. And I I think the fact, I mean, you know, Naomi's almost a full decade younger, which we, we forget that too. I mean, I think Osaka is certainly the favorite in terms of the seedings and the favorite, uh, more recent major champion, but I would not, uh, I'm reluctant to dismiss um, a, 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 you know, a motivated, uh, ambitious Vika is a dangerous force. So I, I really could see this going either way. And the lack of a crowd is going to make for a weird moment on both sides. And just think about the men's side as well as we transition to that. You're going to have a first-time Grand Slam champion, and you're not going to have that crowd, crowd reaction in New York. Uh, it, it's it's something to it's something to uh, put in a page of history because hopefully, like you said at the beginning of this, we never have to deal with this again. It's going to make for a unique. Uh, experience John Wertheim on the TC Live podcast. The men's side gave us what we've been clamoring for uh, for a while, albeit indirectly, John, a quarterfinal field with everybody in their 20s looking for their first major. But it happened uh, in in unbelievable, unfortunate circumstances with Novak Djokovic getting defaulted in his match against pa- Pablo Karina Busto, which has been gone over time and time again. The, the one thing I do want to ask you, John, is as somebody that's you know, in your career, pride yourself on giving measured takes and, and taking a deep breath, as you said, but also being a voice that people want to hear from. When that moment happened on Sunday, when Djokovic was in the process of that long discussion of about to being defaulted, what was the thought process like for you? Did you think it was going to happen originally? And then how quickly and how carefully did you manage your take and your opinion on what had just transpired? Because you mentioned it, the tennis world changed from that moment on in the blink of an eye. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a really, it's a good question and a good way to phrase it. I mean, my first point was, I just thought anyone that follows a sport knows that this isn't even really a conversation. I mean, there's so much precedent here. I mean, it's just one of the, it's like bumping an official in basketball. Like you just, you got to default the guy and they're, you know, the prominent half dozen examples and it's somehow some loophole is found, all hell is going to break loose. And of course, the 2018 final, which the discussion with Serena two years ago was all about what? It was about following the rules and the letter of the law and not having flexibility. It's suddenly when it's, you know, a, a white male, when suddenly it's the number one seed, suddenly they find the flexibility. It's going to be absolutely credibility shredding. So I, I was really happy that what objectively was the right decision was made and we were able to dismiss with that. And I, I think people saying, Oh, they should have given him a warning. I mean, I think drowned out pretty fast. So I think credit the tournament, credit the officials, uh, credit the referee for an unpleasant, but one that absolutely had to be made. And I just, I, I cringe thinking about if, if some sort of 
loophole had been found. I also don't think it would have served Djokovic's long-term interest either. Yeah. But um, I was happy for that. And then the next this point that I sort of stressed was just the crazy context here. And, you know, this, this guy has, this guy was, was on pace to win his 18th major. There's a guy with 19 and a guy with 20. And it's a cliche to say, you know, history turns on the smallest events. You know, tennis is a game of inches. But this was really potentially historic. And this also comes on the first major after a pandemic. And this comes on the major when Nadal and Federer aren't in the draw. And when this guy a week earlier had announced that he was spearheading this splinter players association and he had the, uh, you know, the, the regrettable super spreader event earlier this summer. And I mean, there's just so much contact. It was, right. um, you know, and it's a guy's career and a, a woman was hurt and you try not to lose sight of that. Hope, you know, fortunately she was better. And fortunately he's, you know, still has 33 and still has a lot of winning to do, but this was really sort of a, an impossibly rich context. So I, I sort of said my, my take was kind of open and shut case, very simple. Can't keep playing after right. striking a woman like I mean, just done. But the complexity was really in the context. And, you know, ne- never mind, imagine if he's come short in this major's chase by one. We're all going to go back and imagine that. But, but I mean, just, you know, he, here's a guy who – in some ways is his worst enemy. And this was the first match he lost all year, but it was about the, you know, 80th unforced error. And this is, um, you know, this is a complicated guy who sometimes has very good intentions and very bad execution. Yeah. And just to add to, to your points there, I felt uh, it was unfortunate. It's also a little unfair to some of these younger guys that are in the tournament that they didn't get their moment of getting to go through Djokovic. I know the path opened up and we can clearly talk about that, but you know, they're going to hear for unfairly in a lot of cases that oh, Djokovic wasn't in it. So, you know, it was a, a gift of it when clearly they put the work in. So I, I just thought it was an unfortunate situation all the way around. Uh, and whether you like Djokovic or you hate him, you want to see him out there to, to see these guys get a chance to and maybe ultimately beat him. So unfortunate there, but we do have uh, a great final on, on deck with Team and Zverev. And, and those semifinals, John, they were uh, exciting in, in varying degrees. Zverev coming back from two sets down against Karina Busta, showing, you know, we, we've all thought, John, I think it's safe to say, we've all thought in the tennis world that Zverev's had the game. We've also wondered why he's kind of flamed out at majors, whether there's been a lack of heart and a lack of fighting. He fought yesterday. I mean, he was down two sets. He turned into an efficient server. He was playing uh, tremendous tennis with his back against the wall. And dare I say, maybe came to that crossroads and took the leap and, and really took the next step in his career because for the first time in a Grand Slam, he battled back from two sets down and, and really came through when we were when we were hoping for it. Yeah, your 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 read is, is more charitable than mine. Um, no, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think kind of ultimately that's that's the takeaway. And um, again, we'll we'll see which Zverev shows up for the final. I mean, I, I guess the flip Which serve, side yeah. might be. Yeah, I mean, the, the flip side is is what the hell were this this guy is you know. No Federer, no Nadal, Djokovic out of the way. We've all been talking for years about when is this guy finally going to you know, make this inevitable ascent to winning majors. 
And that first 90 minutes was mm. absolutely, I mean, he, I think to his credit, he, he used the word embarrassing. I mean, it was just ghastly. It was just, what is this guy doing? I, mean, I think he was down, we down five loves. Yeah, in the second set. I mean, it was just, it was borderline unwatchable. Yeah. I just, I just and, think it was his game that obviously his game's been better, but I've just liked the fact that he actually got down in the dirt and fought his way out of it. Obviously mm-hmm. he's played better, but this was, you know, encouraging to see on that respect. Yeah, and, and even even all tournament, I mean, you know, he lost the set to Nakashima. He, I mean, I, I think he lost a set in, in five of his six matches so far. So yeah, I mean, the flip. I mean, exactly. It's it's all how you frame it, and um, you're right. You're you're very you're much more charitable than I am. Um, yeah, he's fighting, and and there was a time when he would have packed it in and said, you know what, uh, you know, I made a little money, and uh, I'm I'm still young, and drive a fast car, and we'll we'll get him next time. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've, we've seen him lose the first round at the French when he was picked by a lot of people to win. So the, the fact that he was able to basically grub out that match, I, I think really says something about his evolution. Yeah, I think team's going to win the final. I think, uh, you know, at some point, all of this tennis and all of these, not, not just the time spent on court, but just emotionally. And, and the I mean, you only have a certain number of comebacks in you. But I do think you're right. I do think it's, it's a step in the right direction. I mean, I think, He's got to ask himself what the hell happened, but he should spend more time celebrating the fact that he came back and won the last three sets, and here he is three sets away from winning that uh, first major. And I, and I, I kind of feel like with these guys, I mean, it's been – we all know the conversation of the last five years. We all know it's sort of who's going to break through. I get the feeling, even sort of talking to people around them, certainly they're they, – somebody just wants to win this, and it's better than Donald Djokovic. I mean, think about it. Neither – Vera nor team is going not only um you know did they only start with one but neither of them had to beat Djokovic and I I don't think they care I mean I think they just somebody wants that title and if you had told them that uh Djokovic lost his lunch uh JFK and never made it to the site they would have shrugged and said fine with me I think they're just if this yeah in in a perfect world they beat Nadal in the quarter it's better in the 70s than Djokovic in the final but I think they're just happy for the opportunity to win a major that's so true. Uh, John Wertheim, TC Live podcast. They just want to get that one. It doesn't matter how they do it. Uh, and team, I mean, I'm with you. I think team deserves to be the favorite for clearly, and, I, and I'm picking him also to win in the final. That Medvedev win in straight sets proved a, a couple of things to me. And, and one that stood out, John, is that he has kind of transformed himself into from just being the the shot making top ten guy, the most exciting, one of the most exciting players in the top ten, you can rip those backhands and hit just about any shot in the book. To being an efficient tennis player and an efficient in best of five major matchups, he's getting a lot more free points on his serve, and he's battling back from breaks down. That was a three set match that almost took as long as that five set Zverev match with the tie breaks in there. Team is playing much more efficient tennis, in my point of view, than he had in the past. He's playing, dare I say, a little smarter even. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. That was a straight set match that felt like, it, it didn't just feel like a, a five-setter from length, but also just, just quality and also that any moment something could change. I mean, Medvedev got that early break and, and Team had what looked to be an Achilles problem and he sort of said, all right, well, at least we're going four. That match was a lot closer than, than the scoreline indicated, and I think you're right. I think the fact that team took care of business, got the break, pulled out the breaker, 
uh, that showed a real, I guess, a great opponent. I mean, I don't think Medvedev played. I mean, their tiebreaker, he had a couple of really loose points, but it wasn't as though Medvedev had a lousy day at the office. I think team showed a lot. That's that's a high-stakes match against a very good opponent. Remember, I mean, you know, Medvedev's the one that was in the final last year, and then team didn't make it through, uh, you know, team lost on the first day, I think. Um, that was a big win, and I think team really showed a lot of sort of organizational skills last night as well as just the, the tennis I thought was sensational. Well, the final set, Zverev and team. Team, I think, 7-2 and two head-to-head against Zverev, and Zverev shown that his A game is on par with just about anybody, but it, it is the question we alluded to. How long will that A game be there, and will he revert back, Zverev, to you know missing a bunch of serves, going south for a few games, not starting properly? I just don't think you can afford to do that against team. I'm hoping that he brings his best and that it is a great classic match, but I fear that the low, the low in Zverev's game will rear its ugly head and give team that opening to just put some distance on the scoreboard. Yeah, I and I also I just don't think it's a great matchup for Zverev. I mean, I think you know, team is probably the you know t- team can hang with him from the baseline. He's the more consistent player. He's a bigger server. He's more experienced. I think he can go forehand to forehand. Team's backhand is, is we saw in their. I mean, they had a great match in Australia, and it was sort of came down to what you. you he had a feeling sort of the, the the better, more composed player won, and I think it's it's the little bit. I think. You know, if these were uh, if these were kids, he'd say that his t- team has his act together a little more. His sort of, you know, his uh, what you call it, his executive functions are a little sharper. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair way to put it. And I think he just seems like the more composed, complete player at the moment. So we'll see what happens on uh, Sunday for the U.S. Open final. John Wertheim, this has been a blast. Before I let you go, uh, a couple more things to get to. One being. We're already actually on the road to Roland Garros. I don't know if you realize this, but we've got two separate roads going right now. And uh, clay court tennis has started. We're, we're, uh, we're ready to go there. And I'm, I'm intrigued to see what the level is going to be there. A lot of the European players that we mentioned did not go to America, did not play in the U.S. Open, have already hit the ground running. Do you expect them to not only lead the way, but kind of dominate the way as we you know, get ready for a clay court season that uh, has some people trying to make that trek from America over to Europe and try to play both uh, both swings. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, Jim, Jim raised this point on our, our morning show, which I think is really uh, perceptive, which is like, let's see what the clay is all about before we look at the players. I mean, this is late in the season and it's not going to be as hot and it's not going to have as much sunlight. I mean, we, we forget how far north Europe is until you, what uh, time the sun sets in the fall. And I think that's going to have an impact on the tennis. I think one thing that will really help these players, Nadal, chief among them, but certainly not the only one, is not only have they had this extra time on clay, but they've had this sort of the certitude. You know, they, they've had this kind of uh, security building schedule where they knew this was, when I'm going to come back and this is the surface I'm coming back on. And these are going to be the circumstances. I think it will help them mentally that they just committed to the clay and I'm not going to even bother with Homeland security and visas and crossing oceans and bubbles and U S opens. I mean, I think if they were sort of stable, say, listen, I know what I'm coming back and I know what the circumstances are going to be. And I think there's going to be a real uh, advantage to that. Yeah, I agree. And 
great point because this is the another unconventional thing with 2020 is that the clay court season being in the fall, the darkness factor is going to be is going to be a huge key. And what what the quality is, you trust the the quote unquote clay court specialist to adapt and adjust the most. But you know there is, there is such an advantage to just easing back into playing and, and preparing and training for just clay only. There's only a few Dominic teams, and I guess Novak Djokovic obviously in the world that can come through and play multiple surfaces, but we're going to see it. We're going to see Serena play the French Open, and we're going to see, John, a French Open bubble that seems to be, on the surface, more constrictive and, and no private residence deal. So it will be a, a tighter bubble, so to speak. It's a weird bubble. It's sort of a, a misshapen bubble. Somebody leaked me the uh, somebody leaked me the documents the players got yesterday, and it's exactly what you said. No private residences, which is a little weird for someone like Serena or the French players that have actual residents, you know, these aren't renting homes in the, in the Hamptons. I mean, it's their own home. And yet they have to stay in these, one of these two hotels. They're not allowed to go out to dinner. I mean, they had sort of, you're expected to basically go back and forth between the site and the hotel. And yet they're going to be fans. That's subject to change. The, the rates of COVID and in, in France are seem to be having a bit of a, a spike in a second wave. I mean, we're still two weeks off from, main draw play. Yeah, it's it's a weird bubble. And I, I could see a lot of players expressing displeasure. You know, look, I, I can't stay in my own apartment mm. or I, I, I can't go out to dinner. And yet there are thousands of people milling around the grounds. Um, there's mandatory masks for basically everything but time spent on court, which, which is what the players had here in the U.S. as well. But, you know, at least one of the two U.S. open hotels was really sealed. The other one, uh, less so, which will be uh, sort of one of the issues I'm sure that will be discussed in the in the postmortem. But um, yeah, it's a little weird to tell players they have to stay in one of two hotels and can't go out to dinner and then have uh, milling around the grounds. But here we are. Here we are indeed. And uh, last question for you, John Worth. I'm on the TC Live podcast. Given the unfortunate circumstance with Novak Djokovic, how he was disqualified, and some of the, I'll say, suspect calls and situations that we've had on main court at Arthur Ashe, is this going to be kind of the tail end of lines people as we know it in major tennis tournaments? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't take this lightly, and, and I feel like you know, automation is a serious topic, and there are jobs at stake, but I just think the accuracy rate has to trump everything and it's not about bleaching color from the sport and nobody wants to see, you know, we, we all want more people employed and not fewer. And, um, yeah, even there was, uh, you know, Chris Clary wrote a great piece today. I mean, there were, I, I had heard the, the same thing. This was all about the, the Ralph Lauren sponsorship and that one reason why you still had the show courts with officials and you still had the show courts with players who were, had to make challenges instead of just automatically getting automation was because of, uh, the polo, some, someone's got to wear the big polo shirts. Um, the, the Ralph Lauren sponsorship wow. hinged on live actual lines people. But yeah, I, I just think the, this is serious business and there's a lot of money at stake and these players' careers uh, matter. And I think you just have to sort of Occam's razor. You just have to go with what gives you maximum accuracy. And I, I don't have the numbers in front of you. It. It, was, it was something like 24 out of you know 200,000 calls were wrong with the robot and you know obviously yeah. uh, 
I probably have 14. I, I, I should get these numbers right before I quote them. But it, it was some phenomenal, you know, 99.99%. I mean, it was just, you got to go with maximum accuracy. And um, it's, it's unfortunate that people who do, you know, really excellent and I, I would say sort of underappreciated work, they might not have jobs and it, it will probably take a little bit of color out of the sport, but you're going to get calls right at a greater clip. And I think that's kind of has to be your guiding instinct. We can't figure out a way to, you know, just have a better sponsorship or put another billboard up well, or something. I mean, well, get this. They, uh, in, in Chris's story, somebody said in, instead of in or out, the robot's voice could, and I, I think, I mean, this was not said facetiously. They could have a sponsor. So instead of out, you could say, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase. Wow. If they could have the, the voice instead of an out call that could be substituted for a sponsor. <laughs> and now I'm just completely like ter- yeah. now I'm just completely terrified yeah. of where we're you're, going. You're not you're not <laughs> football thing. You're you're Geico insurancing. So anyway, yeah, it's um it's it's headed to uh to to a strange place. But again, I think it's ultimately at the end of the day, it's just you you got to do what's most accurate and by extension most fair. Wow, right, that, that's something to monitor for sure. Well, uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be actively looking at it as well. But I agree, you got to get the calls right. Uh, John Wertheim, this was a blast. Thanks for coming on the TC Live podcast, getting us ready, uh, and taking us through some of the most incon- unconventional tennis we've seen in a long time. Appreciate you coming on, and uh, yeah, we're getting ready for a U.S. Open final that I know both finals that I know you can't wait for personally. This one uh, in different ways more than any. But uh, no, that was a pleasure. Uh, happy to uh, happy to chat. And, um, you know, hope, hope, hopefully next time we'll be talking about a final play before a crowd. Absolutely. That's John Wertheim on the TC Live podcast. You can catch him on Tennis Channel Live. I just be on the Baseline podcast as well as the correspondent on 60 Minutes and at Sports Illustrated. Every episode of the TC Live podcast is on the Tennis Podcast Network and all your podcast devices. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the TC Live podcast. We'll see you next week.